Great, we're in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 20, verse 19. So if you could open it up, that would be great. Page 1089. Should we just uh, pray before we start? Uh, Lord God, we do thank you uh, for your word. And we pray tonight that you would uh, speak to us through it. And Lord, that you would equip us uh, for all that we need to serve you uh, fully and faithfully. In Jesus' name. Amen. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I wonder how do those words make you feel when you hear them and, and think about them? I guess if you're anything like me, at times they can feel like something of a daunting, uh, even quite an onerous uh, prospect. How can we uh, lead the lives of witness that Jesus calls us uh, to lead? So often it just seems beyond us, impossibly challenging. We can just feel so inadequate. Deep down inside, the Holy Spirit gives us that longing uh, to live a life that is wholeheartedly for Jesus. And in the best moments of our lives, that's what we long to do. That's what we desire and strive for. But but so often, Jesus just feels distant. We feel drained uh, of spiritual energy. We're kind of gripped with fear about what might happen to us uh, if we say something, if we we make the bold calls and stand up for Christ. We don't want to say anything. We're unsure what to say. The word evangelism sometimes kind of fills us uh, with dread. So at times we, we lose heart and we're tempted to give up. And in many ways, that's not a dissimilar place uh, to where the disciples found themselves uh, in this passage. It's not not a great time here uh, for the disciples. They've been on this wonderful, this thrilling uh, adventure with Jesus, but it's come to this really abrupt end. Jesus had been crucified and died, an event that had seemingly shattered their hopes. And on the evening of that first Easter day, they were huddled together, feeling fearful, confused, weak, guilty even. The unbelieving Jews, they're they're out there, full of confidence after killing Jesus. Are the disciples going to be next on the execution list? So we're told in verse 19, aren't we, that the doors of the room were locked for fear of the Jews. The disciples had no confidence, no courage. They simply wanted to hide. And what happens? Into this atmosphere of fear and persecution steps Jesus. He comes through the closed doors. What an incredible, transforming moment uh, that must have been. Hopelessness and fear just melts away. And from this encounter with Jesus, the disciples are given everything, equipped with all they need uh, to move out and lead the lives that would change the course of human history. And what Jesus says to his disciples here, he also says to us as his followers today. So if, if we long... Uh, to be the authentic Christian servant that Jesus calls us to be, then this passage has much to say to us. I think there are four things uh, that we can note uh, from Jesus' encounter with with his disciples here. I think the first is this. Jesus grants his disciples uh, peace. Let's look at the second half of uh, verse 19. Jesus came and stood amongst them and said, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. I don't know what comes into your head uh, when you hear the word uh, peace. Usually we talk about it to kind of describe the absence of hassle from life. I do anyway, the absence of pressure from work, no exams, being able to sit 
quietly and read the Saturday paper with a coffee without children interrupting. Peace is this kind of absence of stress, isn't it? That's what we understand it to be. But that's not uh, what it means here. The the word that Jesus used was uh, shalom. And on one level, that is a fairly straightforward uh, Jewish greeting. But in this context, it is just so much more. It goes so much deeper. Jesus is saying to the disciples, you have peace with God through my death and resurrection. The peace Jesus is talking about is a peace that flows from the cross. Peace with God and with one another through the sacrificial death of Jesus. Sin and death, they've been defeated. There is a certain hope of eternal life. It's a peace that only God himself can give. And because of it, the disciples, they've got no need to be fearful. I wonder, do you notice in verse 20 how Jesus shows the disciples his hands on his side, where the nails and the spear had been on the cross? Why is that? After he had said that, he showed them his hands on his side. Well, why did he do that? Why didn't, why didn't he just heal his wounds? He's God after all. It's a bit odd to walk around with open wounds, a bit unhygienic. Strange thing to do. It, it may partly have been evidence to show the disciples that it was really him. He's there, alive and risen. It's important they could go out uh, as the eyewitnesses uh, and could say they'd seen in them with the room, the body of Jesus, the same body that was on the cross. If the world's going to trust their reports, it was vital they could see it really was Jesus. But perhaps, more importantly, Jesus did it to point the disciples uh, to the cross. Because it is from the cross, and the cross alone, that this peace flows. Even in his resurrection glory, Jesus' wounds are visible. And that is how it will always uh, be. Jesus will always appear, as Revelation says, as the lamb that was slain. Why? Because it's by his blood and his blood alone that he's purchased men and women from every nation. And just like that, that soldier who comes back from a, a battle with scars on him that he's got from winning from victory, Jesus wants the disciples to see these marks, these marks of grace on him, and to trust him. And, you know, what Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us today, he says to us today, peace be with you as you believe in me. Peace be with you as you trust me and ascend in my name. And given just the natural hostility that we have to God, which deserves eternal punishment, to know God through the blood of Jesus is a great thing. It is the best possible news. The barrier of sin between you and God, between you and me, it's down. We're at peace. What a saviour. I wonder, does that fill you with joy? Is joy your response? Look at the response of the disciples in verse 20. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Uh, my daughter Isabel is uh, three years old, and at the moment her kind of favourite series of books is the uh, Mister Men series, which I haven't read for a long time, and they're actually really weird. When you go back and look at them, they're really strange books. Uh, but they kind of pick up on lots of different facets of uh, human character. And one of the characters that is particularly interesting and uh, typical is Mr. Worry. Mr. Worry, there he is. Uh, and predictably, whatever happens, Mr. Worry is uh, worried about it. If it rains, uh, he's uh, worried that his roof will leak. 
If it doesn't rain, his plants will die in the garden. If he goes shopping, the shops will be closed. If he doesn't go shopping, uh, then uh, the shops would be shut as well. It's a strange bloke, but if they weren't shut, he'd worry that he'd be spending too much money there. So he, he has this kind of ability to worry about everything. Whatever he does, he worries. It's normal, isn't it, for us to be fearful. That is a kind of typical response, way of life of many humans, just to worry all the time. We have anxieties about everything, being afraid about everything. But being afraid is not a sin. It is a natural uh, thing that we have. And throughout the Bible, we're often told, fear not. That is a phrase that comes up a lot. Just think of the number of the times the angels say, fear not, uh, when they appear. And the great news is that Jesus can enable us to overcome fear and anxieties. And in their place, we can have peace and we can have joy. Are you overjoyed at the news of the risen Jesus? We can look to the cross and be reassured we are at peace with God. Fundamentally, nothing else matters. Jesus turns fear into peace. Secondly, do you know that Jesus sends his disciples? Just have a look at verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the work that the Father gave to Jesus is now being passed uh, from Jesus to the disciples. They've got a new purpose. Jesus is saying to his disciples, My work is now your work. Like the runner in the relay race, here is the baton. Take it, continue my work with my authority. Jesus has completed the work of redemption on the cross, and now he sends his disciples out as trusty eyewitnesses. It is they who've got to take the news out to the world. This is God's plan A, and he's only got one plan. These are really familiar words. I was struck by that when I was preparing. But have you ever reflected on what a commission this actually is? As a father has sent me, I am sending you. You know, throughout the Gospel of John, John describes Jesus six times uh, as the one who was sent by God. And God the Father is described by John as the sender 12 times. So, So God is a missionary God. Mission is so important to him that he sent his only son as a missionary to earth. So if Jesus sends us as the Father sent him, then mission must have the same importance for us and church as it had for Jesus. God is a missionary God, and the extent to which we are committed to sharing the gospel is a measure of how godly we are. I wonder, do we sometimes fail to grasp the the kind of depth of that call to mission? So often the church seems to do so, doesn't it? If you think about it, Jesus is the model, the ultimate model for mission. Jesus' mission was the ultimate cross-cultural mission. Jesus was incarnated. He became a man. That was about as cross-cultural as it got. He didn't stay in heaven where he'd been forever with all the glories that were rightly his. Instead, he emptied himself, entered our rotten worlds, and became one of us. He took on our nature and experienced our sorrows. He spent time with those rejected by society. Prostitutes, tax collectors, even took our death. And that's what all mission involves. All authentic mission involves meeting people where they're at in their world, entering 
other people's lives. Spending time with them. Sharing in their pain, their loneliness, their difficulties, their problems. Trying to understand what they're thinking. uh, Why they're thinking it. And and bringing them the liberating news uh, of the cross of Christ. That is what real mission is about. So how are you doing? How are we doing? How is our evangelism going? Just as the disciples were sent by Jesus, so we are sent by Jesus with his authority. Just like the ambassadors and foreign leaders at the royal wedding, representing their countries, so we are out there representing Christ to the world. God wants us all to be missionaries. It's not a call, is it, for us all to head to Africa? I sometimes struggle with this because I look at many of my best friends and I think more than half of them have ended up either as vicars or missionaries or full-time Christian workers. I kind of struggle with that internally sometimes. Am I making good use of, of my time uh, and what I'm doing? But that's not right, is it? Because we've all got a call to mission where we are, here and now. And for many people, including me, that is the workplace, the school, the home, the people we meet uh, every day in our lives, the places that God has sent us. That is our mission field. Do we see people as Jesus sees people? Lost sheep without a shepherd. Or do we delude ourselves that actually people are okay, rumbling on as they are? How much time do we spend with people who aren't Christians? The friends of Jesus were tax collectors and sinners, outcasts. How many friends do we have like that? Or are we actually a little bit more like a Pharisee, safely avoiding unbelievers during the day, getting through work without any difficult conversations and kind of scurrying home at the end of the day to pray for them? Maybe we're not even praying for them. It's not easy. And it's going to be costly. For Jesus, being sent by the Father meant Calvary and death on a cross. And in principle, it's the same for us. Real godly mission, if we're committed to it, will be costly. What we say won't go down well. We won't always have a comfortable life. It may cost us in terms of money, reputation, status, popularity. But it is what Jesus requires of us. And the great news that we see here is that we're not abandoned uh, to this task of mission. Jesus empowers us and resources us for the task. Look at verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So third, Jesus grants his disciples the Holy Spirit. And in giving them, Jesus is giving them all the power, all the resources that they need uh, to go out and witness for him. And and Jesus breathing out the Holy Holy Spirit is a really symbolic uh, moment. It's a real clear identity uh, moment for who Jesus is. There can be no doubt about Jesus' divinity after this, because just as the disciples would have recognized, breathing out the Holy Spirit picks up on so many Old Testament uh, passages where God uh, is breathing out the Spirit of God himself. The man before them is God himself. Just think back to Genesis chapter 2, when the Lord God forms Adam uh, out of the earth. What does he do? The Lord God breathes the breath of life into that first human being on that first day of the old creation. 
And now the Lord breathes his spirit into the new human race on the first day of the new creation. It's impossible, isn't it, to miss that parallel that's there. Jesus is recreating what sin had ruined in the Garden of Eden. It's the beginning of of the new creation, and it's symbolised by the breathing of the life of the Spirit into the disciples. As Paul says, doesn't he, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. This is a transforming moment for the disciples. And as Christians here too, we also are equipped by the Spirit of God. We are a new creation. God is remaking us by his Spirit. We're not not asked to witness for Christ on our own. Mission without the Holy Spirit is impossible. It's the Holy Spirit that carries our words home. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people of their sin. It's the Holy Spirit that causes new birth and witnesses that we're the children of God. It's the Holy Spirit that indwells in us and, and transforms us and changes us into the likeness of Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that will help us develop uh, to be more godly people, to deal with those sins that we continually struggle with. So we can be encouraged. God is with us by a spirit. A spirit, as Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy, not of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We've got a great wind behind us uh, as we're sent out by Jesus. And just finally, Jesus equips his disciples with the gospel of salvation. Have a look at verse 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. On the face of it, it's quite an astonishing verse, isn't it? It's quite tricky to kind of get get our heads around, almost unbelievable. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are not forgiven. They are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What does it mean? What is Jesus talking about here? Well, I think it's clear it doesn't mean that Jesus gave his disciples the right to forgive sins. That's not uh, what Jesus is talking about here. I think we can look uh, to the disciples and what they did in the following years to understand what Jesus meant. Because the disciples went out and they proclaimed forgiveness on the basis of the message of the gospel. Jesus sent his disciples out with the gospel, and by the power of the gospel, the disciples could pronounce a person's sins forgiven or unforgiven. They weren't there providing, dispensing, handing out the forgiveness, but they could sort of unveil whether a person's sins were forgiven or not by the truth of the gospel. And we all share in that as Christians. The gospel takes away all doubt and fear. It tells us exactly where we stand with the living God. It tells you exactly where you stand with the living God. That is the authority given in the gospel. There is no doubt whether someone's sins are forgiven or not. If someone is worried whether their sins are forgiven and they ask that, we can find out the truth of the matter just by asking how they stand with the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they trust in Jesus, they trust in his death and resurrection and reject their their own self-confidence, then we can reassure them their sins are forgiven. They are at peace with God. Equally, you know, if a person is confident their sins are forgiven but they don't trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, then we can confidently tell them your sins are not 
forgiven. The authority of the gospel rests on the fact that God is committed to dealing with humanity only through the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. There is no salvation any other way. It is faith alone in Jesus. So by the power of the gospel, we have the authority to tell people where they stand with the living God uh, by the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It is a black and white issue. So these are the things that we need. If we're going to be sent out by Jesus, we've got the peace to share that Jesus has given us. We've got the authority of his instruction. We're equipped by the power of his spirit. And we've got a life-giving gospel to explain. Do we get it? Do we understand what an amazing position as a follower of Christ that is to be in? The disciples got it. John's gospel doesn't finish by saying the disciples got the point, lived happily ever after, at Hollywood style. Instead it tells us that the disciples got commissioned, moved out, and then lived lives of such transparent integrity and courage that they changed the course of human history. I wonder if we had just a bit more faith and trust in these words of Jesus here, whether we too could play more of a part in the history of redemption than perhaps we'd imagine we could. Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How do we respond? Shall we pray? Lord God, we do thank you for the the good news, the great news uh, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that we can know uh, where we stand with you. We can be at peace with you and with our fellow men through the cross of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would uh, give us a deeper understanding, a deeper trust in the cross, and a deeper desire and heart to want to uh, proclaim that truth, to see others come to know uh, the reality of the living God. Lord God, that we might uh, see and be excited at the works and plans you have for us uh, as we go out and witness and serve for you. In the name of Jesus. Amen.